The podcast you are about to listen to is not a medical podcast, nor is it designed to diagnose a condition. While there are medical experts on this show, any questions regarding medical care or concern should be directed to a primary care physician. Welcome to Game on Glio, a podcast that tells the stories of brain cancer warriors, clinicians, medical experts, and those in the grief and loss community. I'm your host, Shannon Traphagen. This season, you will hear unique brain cancer and grief and loss stories, as well as my own journey through grief and loss. If you enjoy our show, please consider writing a review. Also share us with a friend. You can follow us on Facebook at Game on Glio or Instagram and YouTube at Game on Glio Podcast. You can also visit and subscribe to our website at thegameonglioPodcast.com for our blog, insights, clinical trials, and guest snapshots. Season 3 of the Game on Glio podcast is sponsored by GT Medical Technologies and Gametile Therapy. Learn more at gtmedtech.com. This episode is brought to you by Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Western New York. Learn more at bcbswny.com. So welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. You are listening to the Game on Glio podcast. With me today in person, which is exciting, I have Dr. Alad Levy, Professor of Neurosurgery and Radiology and Chairman of the Department of Neurological Surgery, Jacobs School of Medicine at Biomedical Sciences at State University of New York at Buffalo. That is a mouthful. He is also president to the Congress of Neurological Surgeons, also known as CNS, the executive committee, and the VP of the American Board of Neurological Surgery. With him is Dr. Ken Snyder, the associate professor of neurosurgery with UBNS, chief physician quality officer with Kaleida Health, and a recipient of the Congress of Neurological Surgeons Vascular Fellowship for Cerebrovascular Research, a Toshiba Stroke Imaging Research Fellow, the Gold Humanism in Excellence in Teaching, and has been named the UB Neurosurgery Resident of the Year. That was a while ago for that sure. Is. That <laughs> is a lot uh, for these two stellar neurosurgeons, and they are both joining me today. So thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for having us. I hope I got all of that right. So let's start with how long the two of you guys have been working together here at Gates Vascular and Buffalo General Hospital? So I came here as a fellow before Gates Vascular was Gates Vascular oh, when wow. it's still Millard Fillmore Gates. Clearly, this community hospital at Gates Circle had an international reputation. Mm -hmm. I trained at UPMC, uh, University of Pittsburgh, and we knew the work Nick Hopkins was doing in sort of stroke and endovascular. And a little bit of a funny story. When the taxi dropped me off in the front of Miller Fillmore Gates, and he said, you're here. I looked up at this small community hospital having come from bigger systems in Pittsburgh. And I said, is there another Miller Fillmore <laughs> Gates? I said, no, this is the one. But um, that's where I met Dr. Snyder when he was a resident and I was a fellow. And since 2001, so I guess we're going on 22 years, we've been wow. collaborating and working and uh, pushing each other. 
So you guys have been working together all these years. Yeah, blessed and honored um, because of Dr. Levy um, and his mentorship and, and vision. I think that's what drew me toward endovascular neurosurgery and mm -hmm. his ability to, to lead our group to what makes me most proud when people talk about us. They say, you're training people for the future. You're training mm -hmm. people for the future of medicine, not in the past and not mm -hmm. even for today. And I think it's been that way ever since he showed up. So you really paved the way for where we are right now. Well, I, I certainly believe in, in a team and we're only as strong as, as the team is strong. And I think when we've amassed one of the largest groups of neurosurgeons in, in New York, in the yeah. state, and if not the country, we have about 20 neurosurgeons and we're all pulling on the same war in one direction. And I think we're all united by, we talked about patient-driven innovation. Mm -hmm. The people in this group are not satisfied with the status quo. We right. want to do better for the people that trust us with their care. And is so vital. And the one thing I will let our listeners know is that that is the epitome of where we're sitting right now. This is a, a teaching hospital. And that is so crucial because a lot of what the doctors do here, a lot of what you guys do is teach for the future. And it's to better medicine when it comes to treating patients. And that is literally at the epicenter of what you guys do. So let me ask you guys this. Why neurosurgery? Why neurology? What brought you guys into that field? Well, I guess I'll start. I, I think for me, it's still the la one of the last unknown frontiers in medicine. And certainly the body is amazing and we won't even pretend we know everything about each organ system, but the brain is still the black box. And right now, I mean, even last week, we're about to embark on one of the first patients treated with BCI, brain computer interface. So somebody who is a quadriplegic and can't communicate with the outside world we're going to use the body's natural highways, the mm -hmm. veins of the body, and implant a stentrode, which will interface with a computer. And then what the patient thinks and moves their eyes, mm -hmm. the computer will do. So imagine when you're locked out from the outside world, now you can text, you can turn on your lights, you can move, potentially move a wheelchair. You've reconnected this human with the rest of the world. And that's just wow. technology that's coming into play now. As mm -hmm. we're speaking, we're preparing to do our first patient. I, I can't even wrap my head around how that actually, that there's tech that can actually do that and connect somebody's abilities when they're not able to speak anymore. It can actually interpret what's going on to help them communicate with the rest of the world. So Ken, what about you? I think I can really appreciate when people talk about a blessing or a calling and how doors open in their lives. You know, I'm fortunate to have done a PhD in physics and physiology and really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Mm. I had the pleasure and honor in my life of meeting a Dr. Hopkins and a Dr. Levy at times that opened up doors for me. And I recognized um, that some of my skill sets and what I'd learned in the past were preparing me for this opportunity. And at each phase, uh, further opportunities were kind of open for me. Mm -hmm. So it really was a matter of just working hard and following my heart and, and following the patient population that I love to treat. One way I think about it is it's Friday night, you mm -hmm. have dinner with your family and you get a call. What patient population do you not even think twice about? I'm sorry, I love you, but I've got to go. Mm -hmm. And um, without hesitation, the neurosurgical patient population, the stroke patient population, the cancer population, mm -hmm. I've been drawn to with that. I think the reason I, I bring this question up, and I tend to ask this question to a lot of uh, neuro-oncologists, neurosurgeons that I talk to, the reason I ask it is because it is a very difficult field to be in. It can be overwhelming at times. It is very, very challenging. 
And so I think we have to, I, I, when I talk a lot about you guys, I talk, I call you guys our frontline fighters because without you guys, brain cancer wouldn't have even moved where it is now without you guys people wouldn't even be getting at least 17 months or at least three years. We wouldn't even be that far. And you guys seem to be fighting right alongside of us. That's just finding those answers just seems so critical to you guys. And there are other fields that I, I've met doctors in that it's just different. It just feels different. And so it's important. It's important to everybody who's out there, everybody who is on this journey. It matters to know, you know, why the doctor chose the field that they chose and why you guys are doing this work because it's, to us, it's on the other side of it, it's so important. Yeah, I, I think one of my uh, mentors at UPMC, Dr. Leland Albright, ran, he also ran a clinic in Kijabi, Kenya oh, for wow. children, right, who need neurosurgery, a pediatric neurosurgery clinic that he basically built and would spend his summers in Kijabi. Just a wonderful human being. But he said, you know, neurosurgery isn't a job, mm -hmm. it's a calling. And he's right. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned frontline. There are many fields in medicine, mm -hmm. but I think neurosurgeons are your Navy SEALs or your special forces. It's a perfect way to describe it. We can do our best work. People die. Yep. It's amazing the amount of adverse outcomes, morbidity, and, and death we will see in a week because of the disease state. Yeah. So we know that it's not limited just to our technical abilities. We know that there is technology, there is going to be medicine, there are mm -hmm. going to be platforms that we can continue to move the needle so we see less of this death every week. Yeah. I bring this up because we, we had kind of a sidebar conversation about this, and I was really curious. And I, and I want people to understand and to realize how critical it is that we're having these conversations about brain tumors, brain cancer, spinal cancers and tumors. Just in the last week, and this includes one this morning, <laughs> before we've met with each other, you guys have had how many brain surgeries uh, related to brain tumors, uh, malignant or, or otherwise, in the last week? This is a 10 brain tumor week. Today will be three. So to your point, before this uh, conversation, we yeah. had one and there will be one. Actually, there'll be two to follow this. So I will be doing three brain tumors today and I uh, can and the rest of the team I think we've had a total of 10 how many do you and think then, we average and, a week and then another 10 radiation treatments and, a, and, and 10, 10 radiation, radiation treatments we will do uh, I think so Ken uh, is our director of radio surgery and, mm -hmm. and he does all the gamma knife radio surgery for our group okay we do about 80 percent of the craniotomies for tumor in this region and I think it's safe to say there's somewhere between around 400, maybe 500 brain tumor craniotomies. And how many? A year? Radiation? Here. Yeah. Here. Just our service, just our team. Just in Buffalo. And wow. in terms of radiation treatments, Cleveland Clinic just put out a huge celebration of their 10,000th patient they've treated. They're a well-known center. Buffalo did too last week. 10,000. And again, think of patient population differences and other. And again, yeah. for having a single machine, we have an incredible amount of experience. It's, it's the busiest single machine center in wow. the country right now. It's a mixed feeling. We feel this way when Dr. Levy and I talk about stroke. 
Mm-hmm. We have a tremendous experience at treatment and caring for individuals. Mm-hmm. But then we also reflect and say, we're a small population to have this. And again, what Dr. Going. Levy often takes us to, yeah. risk factor reduction. How do we remove the need for us to be doing this? What do yeah. we do to push? Um, we are a repair shop. Yeah. How do we keep people out of the repair shop? Preventative. Um, and and so it's a mixed blessing in that we gain yeah. a lot of tremendous experience and have right. the opportunity to, to touch a lot of lives. But on the flip side, for a small community, there's something else we need to be doing uh, or looking at. And it's not at. just a community. Yeah. So routinely every week we will evaluate patients from all, all over the world. This past week I was looking at imaging from a patient from Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see patients in the past from Singapore, Australia, yeah. Middle East, Europe, other parts of Asia. Yeah. I think the care and the technology and the innovation that is being developed right here in Western New York through mm-hmm. UB, JI, Collida yep. Health. It's tremendous. And I think through publication efforts and opportunities like this, yep. we can spread, spread the word. And I think it's important to stress that people forget, especially when this isn't part of their regular orbit, that this is a global disease. This is a global cancer. This isn't something that just affects a very small specific population in a subset in a different area. This is people in Ireland. This is people down. We've had listeners that have reached out to us from Peru, from other areas of Colombia and Brazil. Singapore is actually, we have a huge listenership in Singapore now. I know why. (laughs) So, you know, it's, this is a global cancer that doesn't, it doesn't care about your culture your race, your ethnicity, whether or not you're affluent or a wealthy individual, it doesn't care. There are no boundaries or no limits for this. And that's what makes it so vital to be talking about this. And the amount of resources we have, we're blessed enough, not only in the United States, but right here in Buffalo, New York, to have cutting edge care and technology at our fingertips. And that's got to say something and feel so good to the patients and the families that are here. I want to take this opportunity to thank the Brain Tumor Foundation mm-hmm. and Collida Health because without their investments in the robotics, the microscopes, the 5ALA, yep. seed grants, certainly we would not be able to deliver futuristic care, future of medicine to our patients here in Western New York and around the globe. So I think it is important to acknowledge the fact that they are literally investing in mm-hmm. patients' health right here. I think that is vital. Um, even sponsors for the podcast. Part of the reason that we're able to do some of the clinical research and we're able to provide some of the care we provide is because of the support that you get from other businesses and corporations and foundations in the community and even nationally. So I appreciate you bringing that up because we actually, I've done a lot with the Brain Tumor Foundation. I've actually spoken with them before um, and done a webinar for them. So it is critical that we have those resources available to us. So You guys do a lot of work in endovascular care and stroke. I found this interesting and I just want to touch on it just because I wanted to show the futuristic drive of where we want to go. When you guys are doing endovascular procedures, you guys have started getting to a place and it's it's not something that's being done yet, but where the hope is to use the procedures that you're using endovascularly to be able to treat brain cancer patients with chemotherapy. 
So can you talk a little bit about the hope of being able to do that down the road? Not something that's being done yet, but that this is the vision that is going on here at, at Jacobs and at Buff John. I know um, Dr. Levy will speak to more specifics of it, but maybe from a broader stroke. I think what's also interesting about the team and what Dr. Levy's built, for a small community, we have four dual trained endovascular and open surgeons. Mm -hmm. um, our partners, Dr. Siddiqui and Dr. Davies also do endovascular work and tumor work. Mm -hmm. And so we're building an expertise of thinking about tumor from a vascular standpoint. Um, tumors grow by latching onto blood supply. And if you can shut down its blood supply, you shut down its ability to, to grow. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Levy really has also helped kind of with the vision or thought process of, I've found safe ways of treating vascular tumors with patients awake. I mm -hmm. can figure out what blood vessels are going just to the tumor compared to normal brain tissue. Mm -hmm. Why should we be exposing the entire body to a potential toxin if I could just deliver it right where it needs to be? Yeah. And so some of that foundationally comes from an endovascular thought process and Dr. Levy and his partners around the country are, are actually doing this work. Mm -hmm. So if any of your fans of the podcast also watched Lennox Hill. Yes. David Langer did his fellowship actually here with, mm -hmm. and that's how we became very good friends. And his partner, John Buchvar, is one of the pioneers of delivering chemotherapy through the blood vessels into these tumors. So as you mentioned, that's our sweet spot. That's mm -hmm. our strength. That's what people know all over the world that endovascular is synonymous with Buffalo and UB neurosurgery. So having the relationship with David, because he came to learn some of the endovascular techniques over a two-year time about a decade ago, it was a natural introduction. And I've, mm -hmm. I've known John, we were actually um, interviewing for training spots, resonating spots together at the same time. <laughs> well, I'm glad um, I have to mention that to him. <laughs> He's a big fan of the show. Yeah, great. So he- He was actually on the show. He was the very first guest on, on the first season of this. Fantastic. I can't think of a better guest. So we have been in close collaboration with John and his okay. work through these transvascular approaches. Yeah. Um, and I certainly need to give him credit for being a pioneer in this field. And uh, here, James Lim, one of our uh, resident oh. trainees, has expanded and taken mm -hmm. that in some different directions. But truthfully, I feel the combination, the synergies of mixing vascular mm -hmm. and tumor disciplines together, that is going to be the future. Can we bypass the whole body and avoid the sickness and avoid all the side effects of chemotherapy mm -hmm. and just give those medicines directly to the tumor bed. Let's think about this for a second, what you just said. All the patients that are listening, how great would that be? I mean, you're talking about vitality and you're giving them a different quality of life. It's also giving them strength and energy to be able to fight everything else that's going on because of the tumor or the cancer they have. And so just something like that to give a patient the edge. And that's really what we're talking about is giving them an edge to be able to, to beat this because it's a long road. We all know it. There's no sugarcoating anything. Brain cancer, brain tumors, spinal cancers are just, they're just ugly. There's just no way around it. And so to be able to think forward in this way and to find different avenues and to think outside the box. And I think that's really what we're talking about here is that you guys are thinking outside the box because you want to do what's best for the patient. And it's, it's, it's just so impressive and it's, it, it's hopeful. And I think that's the other thing that we need to, to be thinking about is that we're, it's hopeful and patients and caregivers need that more than anything else. 
Absolutely. And again, we come back to patient-driven innovation, mm-hmm. not innovation for innovation, not innovation for technique, not innovation because it's cool, mm-hmm. innovation because it's going to give quality life years to people, mm-hmm. longer life, better quality. So as the president of CNS, with the amount of work that you do nationally, globally, the amount of doctors and other researchers that you talk to, are you seeing Anything new coming down the pipeline that can be discussed or anything that you're excited about that can help move the needle along when it comes to brain cancer? Is there anything that you're excited about other than what we're talking about right now? I mean, and I'm going to defer to Ken. There is so much. There's so much work being done on subtyping and vaccines and cellular uh, delivery. Mm -hmm. Um, We're looking at another technology, for example, gamma tile, which is putting sort of radiation right into the bed. But if you look at major medical centers across the globe, certainly across the United States, Mm -hmm. you have some of the brightest minds tackling glioblastoma or malignant brain cancers Mm -hmm. from every direction you can think of. That just makes me feel so good. you know there's going to be multiple breakthroughs and it's not even just going to be sort of that one magic bullet. It's going to be a synthesis of different pieces of these different centers of these scientists coming together. And I think it's going to end up being a cocktail of technology and therapies that we're going to cure this. It almost sounds like a domino effect. Like all of a sudden we're just going to see a surge. (laughs) And I think Dr. Levy's point of multimodality and multi-team, again, these are um, patients that aren't treated by an individual. They're treated by a very functional, successful team with Mm -hmm. multiple tool sets and approaches. And it's about tailoring the right treatment at the right time. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about... Um, an efficiency of team diagnosis and care um, so that there aren't delays or other factors. Mm-hmm. Dr. Levy's on the board of a local company uh, with one of our colleagues, um, Dr. Fenstermaker of Mimivax, mm-hmm. which again, we've talked about it. Your immune system is built to clear infections, clear toxins, and naturally fight tumors. That's mm-hmm. what it does. How do we build, enhance, and focally target our own immune system Mm -hmm. to help us with what unique tumor you may have such that your immune system can distinguish it from everything else in your body? But that also means your immune system can't be busy doing all of the other things that it might be doing, clearing toxins, having infections. That's where the optimization for people whose immune systems are not optimized. How do we optimize them? Can that tool set work? radiation treatment and focused radiation treatment has gone Mm -hmm. through dramatic improvements. What used to be a beam of radiation that would go through someone's head and make hair fall out on each side is now a focused treatment of 200 beams that do nothing on their own, but can come to a pinpoint and burn and kill tumors at that point. Right. Um, the addition of vascular thinking and vascular augmentation on top of those. Um, these are the synergies and ways that it's a battlefront. Mm-hmm. And you need to think about it as multi different types of facets of a frontier of battle to, to knock down the tumor. There, there's an air force, there's a marine force, there's mm-hmm. a mine. And again, it's bad technology in terms of battle, but that's what it is. And each different angle will be able to bring down the tumor count mm-hmm. in a specific way. And then how do you maintain control, maintain observation and stay on top of it? And this is where imaging technologies, surveillance technologies, yeah. we have the ability to tag a specific tumor cell and image that only in the entire body. That blows my mind. The ability to do that and catch microscopic disease before it's aggregated to even show up on right. an MRI. 
These are the frontiers Dr. Levy's talking about. Probably one of the other most exciting technologies is the ability to tailor your treatment based on the cellular type. Talk about that a little bit. Building chemotherapy or building sort of a cocktail of medicines after they take cells Mm -hmm. from your tumor, spin them down, understanding the unique subtype, DNA, RNA, proteins, Mm -hmm. and then create medicines that target that cell type. I think sort of customization of chemotherapeutics or these medicines, that is going to be the future because again, not all our cells are the same. Not these tumors aren't the same. They are going to have distinguishing characteristics and we have the ability to subtype these and to see kind of what they are at the cellular level and even below the cellular level. And already there are companies out there saying we can customize medicines that will go after your Specific cancer DNA. cells after the, yeah after those cancer cells in your body not necessarily your body but the cancer and cells in your body that's really where we need to be getting to when it comes to brain cancer treatment because we're doing that in breast cancer you look at uh, the genomes that they're looking at and the way they're studying very specific family DNA and then how they're able to tailor breast cancer treatments for women who get breast cancer well we need to be doing that in areas like brain cancer and other rare cancers. So that we can move that needle and really specifically tailor based on the genetics and the makeup of what's going on within the cell of that particular cancer. And I do think that that is exactly where, I mean, it's, it, we're doing it in other areas. We need to be doing it in brain cancer. So th- this is going to be a, a little bit of a, a harder, harder topic to talk about. But for all of our listeners... The two doctors that are sitting in front of me were actually the surgeons on my husband's team. They were the ones that I went after (laughs) the minute I found out that Mike was diagnosed. I think the first words out of my mouth at that time, I know way too much about glioblastoma (laughs) now. And I'm happy for that and I'm grateful for that. But at the time, the very first words out of my mouth were, what are you talking about? I, I, I don't understand. What do you mean? And... Nobody should be going into an ER and coming out saying that. Everybody should understand it the same way they understand breast cancer, lung cancer, prostate. You should have some idea of what you're talking about. And the first thing I did was I was fortunate and blessed enough to have known Dr. Levy ahead of time. And I knew how to advocate because of the work that I've done. And I think that that's where we're trying to get a lot of caregivers and family members is learning how to navigate and advocate for themselves. And when he went in and did the surgery, you guys removed about 95%. Talk to our listeners about the importance of being able to remove as much of the tumor as possible. Why is that so important when it comes to dealing with brain cancers? So that is a fundamental principle of brain cancer. It's called cytoreductive surgery, Mm -hmm. and you need to get to about 95%. And the data shown that if you can do that, the adjuvant therapies, the chemos, the radiations have the best chance of, of working. Okay. And sometimes we can't do that depending on if it's an eloquent brain or parts of the brain that the cost to the patient would be just too great if we went and, took, and removed that inability to wake up, for example, inability to speak, paralysis. So we can't always get it all and we certainly can't always get 95%, but the goal is maximal resection that's safe with a minimum ideal target of 95%. And this gives the patients the best 
outcomes to be able to move forward with treatment. I think what you brought up earlier, which again is difficult to process, many times when people think of cancers, they think of the cancers that are throughout our entire body. Could be lung cancer, could be breast, could be other. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of what we deal with may be cancers from somewhere else that have traveled on the blood supply and come up to the brain. Metastasized. And the thought process and the treatment modality for that is very different than what you're bringing up. Mm -hmm. What you're bringing up is the very organ that we try and preserve the most in cancer treatment for survival mm -hmm. is the organ that has the cancer. People often ask, well, you know, can it go somewhere else? In a slow and in a um, collegial way, we say, it's already at the worst place it could be. Mm -hmm. We're now focused on controlling it in the very organ that has to do your thinking and functioning. Right. And there's a lot of nuance to that decision making. Dr. Levy again uses the phrase, it's an optimization equation around quality of life. Mm -hmm. and that's all that matters for that individual. Right. And that is not a cookie cutter, it's not a flow chart, it is an art form of walking through what that means. What do we always say? We want a better looking patient or a better looking MRI. Mm -hmm. I can make your MRI look great, mm -hmm. but I can't make your MRI look great and you look great. And I'd rather you look great and the MRI doesn't. Yep. And the reason surgery for this for now is so important up front is that when we talk about some of these tumors, mm -hmm. there might be one third of the tumor dividing every time you look at it. Yep. That is a exponential growth rate that no other modality can slow down mm -hmm. but surgery. You want to remove it as fast as you can. And I don't think people realize how quickly it does triple, it divides, it moves. It is the most intelligent cancer that I've come across, that I've ever written about or talked about. And I say that begrudgingly. I, I say that it's, it's like we're, we're giving an award to this, but there's, we're not. It's just, it's that smart. And so it's finding ways to outsmart this cancer so that patients have not only a few months, but hopefully some years that they're able to at least go on with the best quality. You mentioned that glioblastoma, various other brain cancers, they start in the brain. They don't metastasize up to the brain. Does that happen when you get diagnosed with a different cancer? Absolutely. But brain cancer starts in the brain. It stays in the brain. Everything else kind of deteriorates as things progress. We all know that. Those of us who have been on the other side of this, we know what happens. There is a rare thing that does happen sometimes, and this is what happened to my husband. So on top of having a rare cancer, there is what's called leptomeningeal disease, where maybe 1% of glioblastoma patients end up having the cancer cells migrate into your cerebral spinal fluid, and that's exactly what happened to Mike and then you deteriorate rapidly. So can you talk a little bit about leptomeningeal disease as it pertains to glioblastoma and what we need to be thinking about more in that aspect of things? Yeah, leptomeningeal spread is, is devastating and pretty much uniformly fatal. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. And we need to get control of GBMs, treat GBMs, prior to leptomeningeal spread because once it's in the covering of the brain and it's floating in the spinal fluid, now it's leaving the head and it's going mm -hmm. down the spinal column. And it is, as I said, uniformly non-survivable. There's no containing it. Um, there's no containing it. And it's often a sign, um, when we think of, of brain cancers, most people would think it's the nerves. It's all of the 
the connections right. and the electrical cabling that we have that help us think and connect. Mm-hmm. But in fact, that isn't what it is. It's the substance around the nerves that keep them healthy. We call it the glue. Mm-hmm. And that's, so it's the glue of the brain that's often where these aggressive tumors are coming from. The brain is kept healthy by being floated within the spinal fluid. It's, a, it's floating within a tank. And often the signs of when the tumor is disseminating through the fluid in the tank, it mm-hmm. also may mean that the immune system, which has been holding it at bay, mm-hmm. is finally overloaded and being shut down. Right. And so again, the thought process, to your point, what do we learn? How do we get ahead of that? How do we think ahead of that? How do we diagnose that early? What can we do to augment those principles? Often for us, when we see that, it means that we're changing a conversation. Again, as mm-hmm. we think of the art form of how am I going to help the individual and the family in front of me, right. um, but it doesn't mean that we're stopping thinking thinking about how we can prevent and what we can do better in the future. And I'm glad that we brought this up. I'm glad that we talked about this because it isn't something that a lot of doctors, neuro-oncologists, they're not even looking for it. I remember specifically being told that his symptoms are anxiety. It's just from the meds. It's but the rapid losing weight, the seizures that he wasn't having for six months that all of a sudden were prevalent. And it was me bringing him in to Buffalo General. I think People need to take a lesson from you and nobody's going to advocate for the loved ones like their loved ones, Mm -hmm. right? And I am a healthcare provider and don't expect your healthcare providers to know what's going on. You need to advocate. If you don't think something's right, you push, you bring, you force people to take a look because no one knows your family like you do. And and that's a big piece of what you guys do here. we, We talked about this a little while ago, navigate, advocate. And you guys really teach, you seem to teach that a little bit, even among the families that you work with, is helping them figure out the roadmap when there is no roadmap when it comes to brain cancer. Dr. Levy's principle is every patient is a family member. Mm-hmm. And again, me trying to read his mind and working so closely together, I have a feeling if I didn't say it, that would have been exactly what he would have said. And what, what do I always tell the fellows, right? <laughs> Treat everybody as if they were your mother, right? And I think the other principle that we both grow to is we work for you. Mm. Your insurance dollars or your time are paying for our service to work for you. Mm-hmm. And so community members, those listening, when you feel torn about should I ask this question, of course you should. Mm-hmm. And it's our job to answer those. I think thinking about it that way should help empower people um, when they feel torn about getting a second opinion, mm-hmm. having a list of 15 questions or more when they show up for the office, mm-hmm. calling again to say something's amiss, we need to rethink things. Yep. It's our job to listen and to react. And I think that that's important. When you're in the midst of getting this information in, the tendency is to, to go numb. The brain goes numb. You almost, everything is just a haze. And so a lot of times, patients and their families don't realize that you can ask doctors questions. You can say, okay, well, wait a second. I did hear about this. Can we talk about this? It's okay to ask that. You're not, you know, I, I, the, what I, the vibe I get from you guys is that ego is put aside. It's always put aside. It's always about treating the patients and their families like your mother, like your own family member. And I think that that is so important when it comes to building a team. And I tell this to the listeners all the time. You have the right to build the team that you want to best take care of your loved one. 
And you have the right to ask those kind of questions. Yeah, you have to. You are the driver of care. You know, we mm-hmm. will facilitate, but you are in the driver's seat. You're gonna, we're going to help you navigate. And I say this to our team, for you and your family, it's one of one. You have an N of one, I hope. It's where mm-hmm. they're going to have more than one person with a brain cancer in the family. Rare. Yeah. I've met them, but it is rare. <laughs> For us, it's 10 this week. It's 500 or so this year. And then the follow-ups in the clinic. So, you know, we have to remind ourselves that this is one of one for you. And while it may be one of 500 mm-hmm. and it's something we see every day and it's standard operating procedure, it's going to work. This is your whole life. Right. Your whole life is, has instantly turned upside down. Mm-hmm. Your future is not what you thought it was going to be. And how would we feel if that was going on for us? And I say this out loud to remind myself Mm -hmm. too, because it's very easy to get sort of stuck in the rut or lured into the status quo. And we just have to stop for a second and say, what would tomorrow look like if somebody said this to me Mm -hmm. and my family? It would not look the same. It upends everything, everything. And I just want to, tell you how impressed we are with what you did when your future changed. You are changing the paradigm for all your listeners, for the community. You are teaching people how to navigate, how to care, how to ask questions. You have taken, you know, as sort of King Solomon would say, from <laughs> a bitter scent or something extremely sweet. You, you have created so much positivity um, for so many people that so many people's futures are brighter because of how you changed your future. So thank you for what you do. Thank you. I don't know what to say to that. I always, um, it means a lot to me and it is, I, I, you have to look for a bright spot and in losing Mike and our adoption and our children and where we were at when he was diagnosed, the whole purpose was to find purpose to help others. If this was what happened to us, I need to find a way to use my voice to help others because otherwise there was no making sense of it. So I'm glad, I'm honored to be able to do this and it's a gift. I'm grateful for every single hour and moment that I had with him for 20 years. And I'm grateful for doctors like you guys. I'm grateful to know doctors like you guys. And I'm, I'm grateful to have our listeners hear that there are doctors like this out there and you can find them and there is hope in what everybody is going through. There is hope. It's just a difficult journey. But we are getting somewhere. We are finding answers. And with that, you guys are doing so many new things here at Buffalo General and through the Jacobs Institute. You mentioned very briefly, and I just want to touch on a little bit more, that you guys will be doing some gamma tile here. I know you guys are going to do like a 10 case trial and then hopefully be able to introduce it. Talk a little bit more about that. GT Medical is a sponsor of our show. There's somebody that I've worked with in the past. I, I do like the work that they're doing. So tell me a little bit about bringing it in and what that means for patients and families. Again, we know that the ability to deliver focused radiation or radiation in the region is the ability to disrupt DNA and stop cells from turning over. Mm-hmm. We know there's tumor and always microscopic tumor left over, even if we see a gross resection, even with the adjunct technologies that we have, mm-hmm. we can make an assumption that microscopically through this glue, there's other abnormal cells. Mm-hmm. How do we get at that while protecting as much of the surrounding normal brain that there is? 
one wonderful way is imagine you could line the cavity because you can think that the cavity would be the area that we're going to have the vast majority of our problem. Yeah. Now imagine a technology thin enough to be able to deliver a very short, very fine layer of damaging radiation to cells turning over quickly mm -hmm. that you could line your cavity with. It's an interesting principle. It's proven well in the trials that it's been shown, and mm -hmm. we're excited to offer that thought process and modality to some of our patients. I've known that team of doctors for many years, a lot of respect for them. And I think it is incumbent, as we said, innovation for patient mm -hmm. care, right? Patient-driven innovation. It is incumbent upon us if we're going to hold ourselves up out as a cutting-edge center in neurosurgical oncology and neurovascular to at least try this. So we're excited to do this 10-patient trial. I am optimistic um, we certainly have many patients uh, that are eager for this technology mm -hmm. and look forward to reporting back on how that went with you. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited that this is, this is coming to fruition here. I think that this will be um, a great addition to what you guys do here at BuffGen. I have two other questions for you guys, and they're fairly personal. Have either of you had cases that have just hit you really, really hard? especially given when you talk about 500 cases a year that you guys deal with having 10 surgeries in less than a week. Is there some, a case without giving too much uh, personal information of the patient or the family, is there a case that just sticks out for you that has just kind of always needled at you or stuck with you over the years that has kind of either shaped how you've gone into future surgeries or shaped the way maybe you thought I think all of us surgeons carry those. I think we in our department under, again, Dr. Levy's leadership, um, prior Dr. Hopkins' leadership in terms of culture, have really learned that some of the most important aspects that we have when we have difficult cases is each other and a safe place to share that. Mm -hmm. Whether it is, I wish I would have done something different versus there is a system issue here at play and we need to improve as a healthcare system. Mm -hmm. Having an environment where weekly you are learning from each other and holding each other accountable or thinking, not just talking about it, but making something actionable mm -hmm. is an incredibly therapeutic way to deal with the difficulties of what you're bringing up, which is a patient experience or a family that you'll never forget for the rest of your life for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. But what you want to draw from that from every aspect is could something have been done differently? Is there a new trial? Is there a new research avenue? Is there a quality improvement project? Is it a conversation and teaching opportunity so that something like this never happens again for anybody around me or that we've taught? Dr. Hopkins and Dr. Levy lead national conferences just on these learning principles and teaching these principles. Now, Dr. Hopkins, just for reference, can you just tell us who Dr. Hopkins is so everybody listening knows? Because we've mentioned him a few times. So just... How does he play into where we're sitting at the Jacobs School of Medicine and, and Buff General? Like, I'll transition to Dr. Levy on that point, but I okay. want to bring up one other because it's related to stroke and it's mm -hmm. also related to waiting for that experience in, um, in cancer. Mm -hmm. I was a senior fellow with Dr. Levy. Dr. Levy was pioneering stent for stroke trials nationally. There was a patient in her 30s that was told there's nothing that can be done for you. They got to us well beyond a window of when anyone would have ever considered an intervention. Okay. Patsy, by first name. At six months, she speaks out to say, thank you for not giving up on me. 
I remember everything. I remember being told nothing can be done and you've given me everything back. At two years, she has zero deficit. This was a woman that couldn't move anything in her body. Early 30s. They were going to disconnect the ventilator 48 hours after she came. But the principles behind that experience mm -hmm. are what I'm translating to cancer. How many times are people told there's nothing that can be done? Or mm -hmm. we underestimate the recoverability of the brain at six months to one year beyond yep. when the blood supply is healthy, when the immune system's healthy, when there's other supportive structures. Yep. And those are what draw me to the hopefulness around cancer care. And I think that before we transition to Dr. Levy, that is something that I want to touch on because it's, it's that idea of not giving up. It's that idea of constantly pushing the boundaries of the work that's being done. We did a tour before we started the show of some of the tech that's being used. And there was an MRI machine um, that you showed us upstairs. W what's the name of the machine again? It's where you had the needle on like a... The little, oh, the hyperfine. The, oh, yes, the neuro navigation. The neuro, the neuro navigation. Yeah, and it's it's tech like that, um, and it's pushing those boundaries and and not giving up on what many would consider a lost cause. And I have met a number of brain cancer patients, a number of them that are three years, five years. I've met one. I I have a guest for season three. He's fifteen years in to having glioblastoma. And he is doing okay. He is stable. He has no evidence. He's working. He's cycling. These cases do exist. And these, this idea of not writing somebody off until it's absolutely necessary, that you just keep going because there's always, there's, there's always a way. And I think that's what separates you guys. Oh, and you've, I've said this to you. I've said this to other patients that we will continue to fight until you tell us to stop, right? This is very true. Dr. Levy sent me a text that actually said the very same thing. And it gave Mike and I both, I actually took it, he was working because at that point he was six months, no evidence. He was kind of the staple child of what we thought would be good. And I took the text in and I said, look what Dr. Levy just sent. <laughs> and it gave him a ton of energy. So I think that that's crucial. To finalize the one point for both of us, I think what makes Dr. Hopkins such a great mentor for us, he really transformed the landscape of neurosurgery. No one thought that treating through the blood vessels was feasible, possible. And what was incredible about his mentorship or what I remember wonderfully about his mentorship with Dr. Levy was Dr. Levy once presented incredible data sets mm -hmm. about revolutionary treatments at the Congress of Neurosurgery. And everyone walked out. And Dr. Levy, I remember coming back and saying to Dr. Hopkins, I cannot believe the reaction. I cannot believe that this is the way people are talking about or reacting to our data. And Dr. Hopkins just smiled from ear to ear and he said, that's how we know we're onto something. Ooh, really? True story, true story. That speaks to the mentorship of myself, Dr. Levy, Dr. Siddiqui, Dr. Davies, the vascular program, the vision of who could change a landscape of a city and build a building that's revolutionary and 10 years ahead, a design center and trial center that Dr. Levy has transformed from seeds of growth foundationally to exponential growth, such that the FDA device company and agencies want to partner so much so that they've joined. Mm -hmm. And so what, what's built off of just that I'm not going to stop. I'm going to constantly push envelopes. 
safely, to Dr. Levy's point. You can push, but you've got to do it. You've got to study everything that you do. Right. You publish your failures and your successes. We mm -hmm. build our successes by watching over each other to ensure we're pushing boundaries safely, picking right. the right patients, constantly driving. Again, that culture, I think, has been many, many years in development and blossoming. But when we say Dr. Hopkins, I think he started the ball rolling for all of us and built and helped us build this garden that we that all That story to is going to stick with me. for It's going to ruminate for a while. That story of you presenting that at CNS and having everybody walk out, that has been fundamentally part of the problem that we'd had for so many years just in medicine in general is that everybody wanted to just stay within the confines of what is safe, what we're comfortable with. And to push outside of that like you guys have speaks volumes. Before they walked out, one of the chairman of an unnamed <laughs> Ivy League university stood up and said, quote, if I had a tomato, I would throw it at you right now. And then proceeded to walk out. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was very upset. I was but very upset. look at where you've gotten to because of it. And you never gave up. You never walked away from. I, I, I was contemplating giving up. And that's when Nick <laughs> said, if they didn't have a visceral response, you know you weren't onto something special. He's mm. like, keep going. Just to dovetail on what Dr. and Ken said, some of Dr. Hopkins' greatest skills were vision. Mm -hmm. He can see 10 miles ahead when the rest of us can see one mile or inches ahead. Mm -hmm. And team building. And I hope, I hope I can do half as good a job as he did. He could assemble important pieces and create compromise to create GVI, yep. JI, a whole landscape of endovascular. So him recruiting Adnan Siddiqui here, who is a CEO and president of the JI where we're sitting right now, mm -hmm. and then Ken Snyder, and then sort of cultivating this team, which um, eventually passing me the baton. And now we have, mm -hmm. I think, 20 amazing humans in the wow. Department of Neurosurgery as attending. Yes. yes. Those are amazing skills that I, I hope he's imparted to me and as part of the mentorship it's something you take away when you come to Buffalo General, when you come to Jacobs Institute, to Gates Vascular, you immediately get that sense the minute you walk in the door. You get the sense that we've got a team of people that have our backs and they literally will hold us up as you're going through whatever journey you're going through from a patient caregiver perspective. You get that feeling when you walk in and to know that it's also a teaching center and a teaching hospital and that you're cultivating the next generation to think in the same way, I think is vital when it comes to the future of medicine and how we treat complex surgeries uh, like brain surgery. To end, given what you guys do and the sheer volume of what you guys do on a daily basis, how do you decompress? How do each of you take care of yourselves when you walk out the door so that you can come back the next day and ha still have the mentality that you have now and the passion that you have now? I think that what people may think of around a, a, a passing of a patient, let's imagine, or a difficult experience, mm -hmm. to Dr. Levy's point of how complex the care is, when it's not something that you're worried, I wish I could have done something differently, but just as a bad outcome, mm -hmm. um, what you learn is you are equally important as a doctor for that family then. And I think what happens is that there is meaningful rejuvenation from knowing you did the best you could mm -hmm. that automatically feeds back into you for the next day. I'll give you something raw and honest. Okay. So sometimes I will hop on a Peloton. Hello, Matt Wilpers. 
<laughs> yep. And, and bike into oblivion that I can't really, that I, I need to sort of decompress and sweat and push myself that I, to, you know, till you sort of aren't really thinking. There is a cost. You ask how neurosurgeon, there is a cost to being a neurosurgeon and it's a dark side. There's a high mm-hmm. um, divorce rate, high substance abuse rate. There's a high suicide rate for different specialties. And it is a cost and we can't always escape. And certainly we can't always decompress. You come home, emergency, emergency, mm-hmm. and you answer the calling. And like any front line, whether it's a Navy SEAL, firefighter, police officer, um, I'm certainly not saying one job is better or worse, or I'm not creating any uh, equivalence. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there isn't an escape and there is a toll and Many of us just accept that as this is our calling and this is part of the job. You accept the toll and you push along. Find the bright spots. You find the bright spots and wait for the wind to pull you back up. But there are highs when you can save somebody and bring them back from the brink of death. Mm -hmm. And there are certainly the lowest of the lows when no matter what you do, you lose that patient. Mm -hmm. I think it's important for your listeners to understand that we're human and we suffer like anybody else, like anybody suffers. I don't think we could end it better ourselves. Um, I think that as something that is, we need to take away from this conversation is that we're all in this together in this game of neurology and brain cancer and brain tumors. And no matter what side of the fence you're on, when it comes to fighting this, we are all in this together. And you guys have proven that very clearly today. Um, I am so grateful for the enormity of time that you've given us and what you've shown us here at Buffalo General, at Jacobs, at Gates, the innovation, the passion that goes behind what you guys are doing when it comes to pushing the needle uh, in brain tumor and brain cancer. Um, You know, as we head into Brain Cancer Awareness Month, this is conversation we need to continue having. So, I am so, so grateful for everything that you guys have, have done for us. Um, is there anything that you'd like the listeners, anywhere you want them to go visit? I know so, you guys have social media, um, Instagram. Um, if you'd like them to visit anything that they can learn more about you, please feel free. You can visit us at ubns.com or Alad Levy MD is the social media. It's professional. You'll see videos of surgery and teaching videos. The congresscns.org is a wonderful uh, website for potentially people who may be interested in neurosurgery and the neurosciences. Perfect. It was an honor to care for your husband and for you and, and your family and to participate today okay. and know that outreach and education is a core component of what we do. We love bringing high school students through, showing them. Uh, we love going out to communities, talking about this. He does an amazing job at outreach, Yeah, as do you. Thank you so much for having us. For any high schoolers that are out there and listening, we need more passionate neurosurgeons. So please, your interest should be piqued, hopefully. And, and thank you so much for taking part in this today. I value your time. I value you guys as human beings. And I'm so grateful to both of you uh, on many levels. Well, thank you. And thank you for the work you do. Thank you. And with that, we will be right back. Imagine waking up from brain tumor removal surgery knowing that your radiation treatment is already underway. That's how gamma tile therapy works. At the end of brain tumor removal surgery, the neurosurgeon implants the tiny gamma tiles 
where the tumor is most likely to return. So instead of waiting to start daily standard radiation treatments that go for weeks, you get a head start against the tumor cells and get back to your life sooner. For operable brain tumors of all types, including glioblastomas, brain metastases, and meningiomas, gametile therapy is a one-time targeted radiation treatment with fewer side effects and far less chance of hair loss than external radiation. Gametile therapy is FDA-cleared radiation therapy for patients with newly diagnosed malignant brain tumors and recurrent brain tumors. Gametile therapy is tough on tumors and easier on patients and caregivers. Learn more at gametile.com. There's a quote that's been running through my mind. It's been in my head, stuck on repeat. What you're meant to do won't get by you. I never foresaw myself becoming a podcast host. Yet here we are going into season three. All of you out there have just listened to the first episode of season three. And we have so much more to come after this, so much more down the road, so much more of this journey. I never foresaw this. Yes, I'm a radio host. Yes. I'm a writer, I'm a novelist, I'm an author. Storytelling is in my blood. And this is just another way to share amazing stories. What you're meant to do won't get by you. As we launch season three of the Game on Glio podcast, I hope that sticks with you. I hope you realize that no matter your journey, no matter where your life is going or the trajectory that it's on, even if it has taken a very sharp right turn, Things in life have a way of finding us, coming to us, revealing themselves, and they do so in the perfect time. What we're meant to do won't get by us. I am meant to be a storyteller and I am meant to be an advocate. I am meant to share these stories and to do this work and to carry my late husband's memory forward. And I do so proudly, but it's so much more than that. It's for all of you. It's for your stories. It's for your journeys. It's for the doctors and the frontline workers. It's for the grievers, the widows, the widowers, the families, the children. It's for all of you. And it's for me. So I'm so proud to have launched season three. We have so much jam-packed into the third season. And we have more to come after that. But as you've watched this first episode, I hope you enjoyed the video special. We shared a glimpse into the work that was done by Dr. Elad Levy and Dr. Ken Snyder, two brilliant surgeons who were my husband's surgeons. And as they have shared, and so many others, this is what I am meant to do, and I am proud to do so. So until episode two, which airs at the end of this month, thank you so much for joining us. Until next time. A proud episode sponsor for the Game on Glio podcast, Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Western New York has helped millions of members since 1936 lead healthier lives. As a community-based, not-for-profit health plan, Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield invests millions of dollars each year to strengthen and enrich the health and quality of life in Western New York. Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield provides a wide variety of health and wellness initiatives throughout our community all year long including a full summer schedule of free fitness classes throughout the region, which can be found online at bcbswny.com play. You've been listening to the Game on Glio podcast, the podcast that is designed to educate, advocate, and tell the real stories 
of those walking the journey of brain cancers such as glioblastoma and grief and loss. If you like our show, please share us with others. Follow us on Instagram at Game on Glio Podcast or on Facebook at Game on Glio. You can visit our website and our YouTube channel. You can find us anywhere podcasts are played.